Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by legendary trainer and world class friend, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how are you? I'm good. Doing good. I'm again. I'm with you. And we're good people. Let's go. Talking, good to talking see about you. things that we have a passion for. And having people that have a passion for it listening, that care about it. That's uh that's a blessing. Yeah. We've got a lot of good, exciting fights to cover, starting with the, um, we're a little bit late on this one, but the um, Jarrell, J-Rock Williams, and uh, Jared Hurd fight. And before we get into it, just to keep everyone posted, we did a very in-depth interview with uh, J-Rock recently that we'll be posting shortly. But in the meantime, I wanted to just touch on the fight and bring everyone up to speed if they haven't had a chance to see it or they haven't had seen any of the coverage. Um, Julian Williams came in anywhere from 4-1 to one to 7-1 to one underdog. Wasn't really promoted during the lead up to the fight, and don't steal my pen. Pulled off an incredible upset, blew him out, won the decision. Um, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this one, Teddy. What'd you see? I saw. First of all, you said it right. We we interviewed him, and it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous listen for people out there um, to learn about him in a lot more ways than the kind of jab he throws. Uh, about his journey to get to where he got to and to become truly a champion in in his own right, besides the fact that he got his hand risen on a certain night uh, for beating somebody inside his, you know, chamber of truth to squared circle, but where he's taken himself as a person and what he represents as a person, I think it's a, a great thing for people to hear and they're going to look forward to it. Uh, as far as what I saw with Hurd and Williams, in the ring, well, when you get an upset, what was unusual, what was different for me is when you get an upset, he was 7-1 to and dropped to 4-1, to I believe, something yep. like that. The perception going into this fight is not always what the reality is. What I mean by that, the perception was that sometimes you find out things. You, you, you discover things um, in the course of of going through an experience. You learn something. And so going in, everyone said Hurd was just a bigger, stronger guy. And then when you were done, I wonder if he really was. You know, because when it was done, like, what is bigger? What is stronger? The perception was, yeah, bigger, stronger guy. Like kind of like Foreman fighting Frazier. Mm -hmm. Bigger, stronger guy. That if you stand in front of him, he might do exactly what Foreman did to Frazier. Lift him up off the ground mm. because he's bigger, he's stronger. <clears throat> Wasn't to be. And the thing that was so interesting was going into that kind of fight as a 7-1, later 4-1 underdog, whatever wound up being at fight time, and depending on where people got their bets down, I guess, the line could be different, that you would think that the smaller guy – He's got to be more agile. He's got to be smarter. He's got to be quicker. And most of the time when there's an upset like that, it would be done on the outside. Yeah, it would be done on the outside. Where Williams, if he's going to win this fight, he's got to box on the outside. He's got to use his jab. He's got to use his quickness. He's got to use his intellect. He's got to be slicker. Uh, there's no margin for error. He's got to fight as close to a perfect fight as possible. And But he, there's no doubt he's got a box. He can't go into the den with the lion. But who says he's a lion? Who, who made him the lion? <laughs> Maybe the lion's missing a few teeth. And, you know, and you, you don't know until you go in the den with the lion that, hey, you know what? 
there's more gums than teeth. Maybe, maybe. But the point I'm making is usually, conventionally speaking, the standard to this kind of, the blueprint to this kind of fight with everything I described, the bigger, stronger perception, uh, the guy being a big favorite, undefeated world champion against a guy in Williams who has one loss, he got knocked out in that loss, that he's going to have to outbox him on the outside. But who says you can't outbox a guy on the inside? And to me, the thing that was fascinating was he didn't play around. He went right into the furnace, right into the lion's den. And he beat him at his own game. He went inside, he backed him up, he outfought him on the inside, outlanded him, and he, he knew what he was doing. A lot of people early on were questioning it. You could hear the commentators. Oh, for sure. They, they were like, if you keep fighting this fight, basically he's going to lose. You can't, you can't fight this fight. Yeah. Well, who says you can't? He knew that he could. He knew, and he was doing subtle things like turning them, moving off to the side. See, when you walk around somebody, even though it's subtle and you might not notice it all the time, or maybe somebody might not point it out and you don't notice it, is when you step off to the, around the guy, you're keeping the bigger, stronger guy from using that bigger strength because you're moving to the side. He can't quite get off. He probably doesn't even know until the night's over yeah. that I just, I didn't feel right. I couldn't get off. Yeah, because the guy was walking around you where he was turning you and making you move your feet instead of being set so you couldn't punch. Yeah. So that's why you couldn't get off. And so little subtle smart things to sweet science. It doesn't have to always be on the peripheral. It doesn't always have to be on the outside for it to show itself to be effective. That was brilliant boxing. Now that you mentioned that to someone who might not have seen the fight or is going to go back and watch it, watch for that because that's exactly what he did a few times and it looked beautiful. He'd hit him with a bunch of a, a big flurry and he'd step right around and all of a sudden he's on a different angle and Heard couldn't even answer but back. But he wasn't only ready for the physical fight, the technical right. fight. He was ready for the mental fight. See, his training him, they deserve all the credit in the world. He went in there and he discouraged them. He fought in a way, he fought fire with fire, but his fire was smarter. He had an FSS suit on. Yeah. Well, he wasn't getting burnt because he was making a miss on the inside. It's just as effective as making a miss on the outside. Yeah. It's just that people don't, people don't quite understand that. They think that the only way you beat a bigger guy is you got to go outside and you got to out flash him, you got to outsmart him, you got to out hustle him, you got to outmaneuver him. Well, you could do that on the inside too. Mm -hmm. And that's what was interesting. It was so different than the normal upset. The normal upset would be the guy outboxing him on the outside of everything we just described going into this fight. He, he just outfought him inside. And he was ready for the mental part of the fight. Not just the physical, technical part, but the mental. What do I mean by that? He was going to discourage him. And if you watch through the fight, he deteriorated Hurd mentally. If you know what you're watching yeah. for. He deteriorated him. He broke him down a little bit. He he was he was less not only active but less sure of himself later in the fight than he was early heard. Yeah, you're right. You know, and he he took away what he thought was his advantage. Hurt thought, if you fight with me, I'm going to beat you because you're going to stand in front of him. He told him that at the press conference. And he took that away from him. Yeah. And he discouraged him. So he not only was ready to beat him physically and technically, he was ready to beat him emotionally and mentally. Yeah. And he set that he set that plan forth. Mm -hmm. He put that plan in action. And he did it. And you watched it. It was a beautiful thing to watch if you know what the heck you're watching. The only thing that 
I was a little, I hate to knock guys, to, but a little bothered by, I don't know if you guys were too, but like sometimes when the commentators like doing a fight, it was a good fight. It was an the, excellent fight. But they're going, oh, and, and then two saying like, oh, and then two, oh, I, I mean, you know what? If I'm watching it in a bar with a fan, yeah. maybe with you, I have a couple of O's, I say, hey. That's no balls. Let's go A. You know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. just changed the yeah. syllable yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, a little bit. But but I don't want to hear that from a professional commentator. I'm just saying the guys are good. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But I it would be kind of like watching Steph Curry every time he hits a three. Oh, by the commentator. Guess what? You're not going to hear that. You know why? Because Steph's doing what he does. Yeah. Basketball players hit three. So it's during the course of the game. You can't go, oh, every time he hits a three because that's commonplace. That's what it's supposed to. Now, if he wins the game on, on as the clock goes off, oh, you can do that. Mm. Right? Yeah. If, if a guy scores a knockdown, oh, you could do that. But if it's happening on a regular, in a regular way, during the course of the fight, during the course of the round, you, it's, again, it would be like in baseball, every time a guy gets a base hit. Oh! No! It's part of the game. It's what he does regular. But if he hits a base hit, a game winning, a walk off base hit. Oh! Yeah, it, it works. I, I can tolerate it. But it's difficult to hear that. During the course of round after round after round, when it's just another punch that's it's supposed to be part of what they do. Yeah, it's it's not at that level, that that drama. It's not at that dramatic level of ending a fight. Right. So that was a little bit. So you know, if you ever commentate on a fight with me, don't go oh, you know, during the course of the round so much. You know, wait till the end of the round if the guy lands a punch <laughs> and drops the guy, then you could say oh. But that, that's just one of the things. I'm just curious if you guys kind of were, were touched by that a little bit too. Just curious. Um, and we like to tell the listen. I hate to keep saying it, we tell the truth, but we're gonna say what we. What we see, yeah, and and um, and put it out there. Where normally it probably wouldn't be put out there. To be quite frank, but the the real tagline to this story is that a beautiful kid, and I think he's a great kid. I really do, especially getting to know him with the interview and everything and his backstory. Uh, Julian Williams, uh, he came, and he came. He he got off the floor. You know, after only, what, five fights ago, he was knocked out. He gets off the floor. He is really what boxing is all about. Yeah. What a champion is all about is that you get off the floor when you get knocked down. And in this case, he got knocked out in a fight. And you come back and you still achieve your goals. You get there. Like I've said many times, you, no matter what life has done to you, on one given night, if you you can put it all behind you, baby. Yep. You can put it all behind you. You can get in that ring and you say, tonight I'm ready. I've worked. I've dedicated myself. I've disciplined myself. I've sacrificed myself. I've done everything I need to do. And I've made up my mind. Before I leave that ring tonight, when 36 minutes is over, I am going to make everything right. I am going to correct anything that went wrong in the past. I am going to make up for everything that I thought happened to me that I wish didn't happen to me. I'm going to make everything that did happen to me 
show why it happened to me. I'm going to use everything that happened to me to win tonight, to be world champion tonight, to have my hand raised tonight. No excuses, only reasons. And he did it. And to me, that's what makes this sport great. Kids like Julian Williams, kids like Tony Harrison, you know, who's also in that oh, weight yeah. class and also owns a, a title in that weight yeah. class. Um, that's, that's why I love this sport. Yeah. And I think you guys are going to really, when you hear the interview, you guys are going to, you're going to feel the same way. I agree. It's an incredible story and an incredible person. Just a really nice guy. Very insightful in spite of all the trials and tribulations he's been through. I think people are going to find it quite um, entertaining and motivational. I love, I love the way he dropped in the second round. It was second round, right? Second round, yep. He dropped him with the left hook. You know what that was reminiscent a little bit? A little bit was when Tyson dropped Burbick, yeah. hitting him on the temple. Mm. You know, and of course we didn't have the him flopping from left to right. You know, trying yeah. to get up. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't have that effect. Right. But but it was a. It reminded me a little that everyone thinks you got to hit him on the chin to affect a guy. Yeah, yeah. But you hit him on the temple, boy oh boy, you can affect and bang. That that was that kind of uh, paved the way for the rest of the night. Yeah. That was awesome. The fight itself was awesome. The result, the post-fight interview, the raw emotions. I mean, he was crying. And, yeah, it was just, like you said, it was everything that's good about boxing, highlighting the fact that you don't have to win every round to win a fight or you don't have to win every fight to be considered a world champion or a Hall of Fame champion. You just got to keep plugging away and keep doing the right thing. And that so guy right. does all the right things. You know who didn't do the right thing? The, again, we we put it out there. I'm not looking to attack anybody, but I'm looking to put out things that normally maybe get passed over. Mm -hmm. And the cut man for her didn't do a great job because there was one round, no excuse, uh, that it, it didn't change the fight, but it could have changed the course of the fight, yeah. where there was a round there. Because for me, you got to do your job. Yeah, I'll say it again. You got to do your job. This is a really, really important business this is a really dangerous business you got to do your job because otherwise you know you don't do your job somebody's career and maybe life is on the line yeah and the cut man you know he left the glob of vaseline and it got in the eye yeah. of her and her right. spent a what around yep almost around yep you know oh, i was in his eye couldn't trying, see trying to get out his eye yep and then the next round when when he got it all clear and he goes out, it was, it was a glob there again. Yeah. But the fight, if you watch, because no one may be pointed out, but if you watch, you'll see the fighter took things in his own hands. See, he shouldn't have to do that. The fighter yeah. should only have to deal with the guy. Everyone else should do their job. Yeah, It's a tough business to begin with. Mm -hmm. Now you got to do other jobs. So he took it in his own hand where he actually wiped the Vaseline off because he knew the same thing would happen. Yeah, The fighter rectified it. The fighter corrected it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was maybe those were little omens that this wasn't going to be his night. Yeah. You know, um, but really the only omen you needed was not an omen. It was, it was a solid effort and a solid, you know, decisive mindset of Mr. Julian Williams going into that fight, knowing not only what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. Yeah. Him and his trainer, they chose, we're not going to outbox him on, on the outside. We're going to outbox him on the inside, baby. Yeah. Right where people think we shouldn't be. 
because we know we can do it that way. Yeah. And we know why we want to do it that way. Yeah. The people are going to love this interview. So stay tuned for that one. We get, we covered a lot of territory with that. I think we had him in here for almost two hours and it was, we could have had him for four. It was awesome. Uh, but listen, let's, uh, hour and 45 minutes to be exact. All right. Close enough to two. Yeah. No, no, I, it's <laughs> close. It's Let's talk about Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil this weekend. I was at that fight, and let me just that say, didn't last an hour and forty five minutes. No, no, slightly over a minute forty five. But that was um, before we get into the fight. I have to tell you, the crowd at um, the Barclays Center. I've been to a lot of fights. I was at Canelo Jacobs last week. The crowd in Brooklyn was unbelievable. Man, they were so passionate. They were awesome. There was no no real bullshit. It was like nice people. Like everyone was passionate, but in uh, going crazy, but not like bad behavior let's say and i wore i didn't even think of it but i wore red Sox hat there as soon as i walked in the door they were on me does that be me boston or brooklyn of course i was like oh that's boston and uh you know at one well, point you, because you have guts you're not gonna I, oh i wear that hat I mean, to the yankee stadium yeah hell yeah integrity i actually was talking to jerry cooney at one point and he said the same thing is that for brooklyn or boston i said boston he literally grabbed me in a headlock we started wrestling around clowning around security came over and said guys stop fooling around <laughs> Uh, he was he's he's a really nice guy. He had yeah. a lot of nice things to say. You about were, uh, well, he's a good guy. Yeah, good guy. you should have fought with him in the inside. He was more of an outside fighter, so <laughs> inside you had a little. <laughs> but it was uh, it was like a who's who there. Before we get into the fight, like I said, we saw our friends of the show, Rosie Perez. We got a great interview with her coming up soon. Um, Errol Spence was there. Had a few words with him. Really nice kid. Yeah. It was it was it was awesome. But let's get into the fight because it, there there wasn't really much to discuss. I mean, totally one-sided affair, and I'm curious to hear what your takes were because the one thing that seemed obvious to me is that Brazil, I don't want to say he seemed scared, but I don't even know what he was doing. He was pawing out there with a jab. It was – he was pawing out there with the jab, almost waiting to get hit. He might have thrown two punches that were slightly behind the head in a clinch. It just didn't. And I like Dominic Brazil. I hate to say this, I but he was. Uh, I had a prediction before that. Fight. And that's right. And you, you, you talked about it on the show and you sent out a tweet saying that Dominic Brazil better keep that left hand up. And it literally, exactly the way you described it. No, I actually it, it, said, I actually in some places said that he's going to get knocked out one round, but I definitely said he's going to get knocked out early. Mm-hmm. And but but it wasn't a hard thing to say. I'm not right. saying that that doesn't exactly make me the amazing crest. The way you phrased um, it happened is exactly the way it happened. You could see it on Twitter, and the but, people but jumped I mean, on it. What made me even more sure was on top of everything else that I felt that I could make that prediction because of what my what I know and what I think I know. My judgment's through this game for 40 years, but and as an analyst, you know, at ringside for 20 years doing Friday night fights and whatever else with ESPN. I, on top of that, what really crystallized it for me was when they were in the ring, Brazil was dry. Mm-hmm. And, and I, uh, with my buddy and the manager that puts this all together, you know, Rob Moore, who does a great job, um, I was able to tweet. <laughs> yeah, I was able to tweet, and, and 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 so oh, there it is. And and just before it started, this was like right at the beginning of you know as the bell was about to ring, or, or ringing. Um, I said this because 
he looked dry. And when you're dry, he, he already had enough problems going in because he doesn't know how to get away from punches. He, his defense isn't good. He's too easy to hit. Oh, yeah. It's just too easy to hit. But And when you're too easy to hit, that's not good in boxing. No. It's not good. No. It, it's not good. It, it's And um, it, it kind of be like trying to be a, a Vogue model with uh, too much acne. <laughs> it, it, it's just not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it doesn't work well. And so he, on top of that, he goes in there cold, and I'm looking at him, and I I told Rob to send this out because he he's not warmed up, and he already has enough problems, and this is just going to magnify his problem because by not being warmed up, you're more susceptible to getting caught early in a fight, and so that was part of it. And the other thing is, he just there's no I'm going to go into it a little bit, but there's no excuse. Really, for what happened. And I'll tell you why. And then people are going to be surprised. They're going to say, Teddy, you just said that you you knew it was going to be an argument. Yeah, I get it. I knew that only one guy was going to win. I get all that stuff. But even with that, there's no excuse for it to go the way it went. I'll tell you why. If you're a boxer and you're fighting a guy who you know his most dangerous weapon is his right hand, you also know that before the right hand, you know, I always used to say it on ESPN, that the left hand is the table setter, and then you eat with the right hand. Mm-hmm. The right hand goes and eats, but the table gets set by the left. So if you don't know anything else, you know the guy's got a good right hand, you know the table set is the left. All you have to do from the trainer to the fighter is – and there's a lot more to be done than this. Yeah. But one thing, when you see the shadow, the shadow, see the shadow? Yeah. The shadow of a left hand. When you see the semblance of a left hand, when you feel a left hand, move your freaking head. Soon as you feel this left hand, the second it, uh, soon as you feel it, move your head. Because the right hand's coming. Don't stand there. And, and that's the one thing. I know no one else is going to put notice to that until maybe now. But, like, I, I they're going to say, but he, I get it. He he set it up. He landed the right hand. He's the, he's the best puncher in boxing. I've been saying that. Wilder being he. I've been saying that for years. Um, him and uh, Adonis Stevenson were the two, for me, the two hardest punchers in boxing. Uh, Adonis Stevenson had a better delivery system uh, because he was better technically. But for one punch... Wild is the best puncher in boxing. So I, I get it. But still, as a professional, you have to go in there prepared. And I don't care what your shortcomings are. In that one area, you know what his weapon is, his great weapon is, what his great strength is. You know what he's going to beat you with if he beats you. Don't make it that easy. You get hit with a jab. Move your head. Listen. I would rather think that as a trainer, I could teach him not to get hit to jab too. That's even better. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm making it simple. I'm I'm making it I'm making it painting with numbers. I'm not making it Rembrandt stuff. Yeah, I'm making it simple or Picasso or whatever you like. But the jab touches you. As soon as it touches you. Move your head. Susan, move your head because you know what's coming. You know what's coming. You, you know what it would be like? It'd be like 
robbing a bank. And a lot of people are going to say, you use that analogy a lot. Did you, did you use the robbing bank? No. <laughs> no. I, I, I was an idiot as a kid. I did a few stupid things. But uh, but I never robbed a bank. And But I understand the concept. The concept is this. If you're robbing a bank or whatever, you're doing something that's not good, right? And we don't we don't condone doing anything that's not good. But just for an example, and you hear police sirens, <laughs> you might want to get out of the bank. <laughs> you might want to get out of the bank. <laughs> so you're fighting a guy who's got a deadly right hand. You feel a jam. You might want to get out of the bank. The, 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 to, back to your point of him being dry, I almost wonder, it looked to me like he was overwhelmed by the moment because I noticed even when he, you know, they, they make the B-side guy go out first, obviously, they kept him waiting, they played this like big dramatic entry music for Wilder, whatever, entertainment, and I noticed that Brazil wasn't throwing jabs, he was hopping around a little, but he wasn't staying loose and like throwing punches, combinations, he was just kind of standing there looking around, almost caught up in the moment. That's and a good I, point, you know, that's a good point, like the deer in the headline. That's like, what he looked frozen. like. Yeah. The fear overtook him. And all like, I could think was, at least, about that. at least throw some punches, move around, dude, you're going to be fighting in like always, 20 always minutes. Almost like waiting for the execution. Yes, that's what it looked like. Like, and, like and, knowing, and, knowing what's going to happen, like being... What's the word? Being resigned. Yes, that's what it looked like. And that's what the effort looked like in the first you're round. You're my like spelling coach. You're my vocabulary coach. <laughs> was that the correct? He resigned, yeah, yeah. was resigned to take that loss. Yes. He threw that jab out there so lazy. It was, it, yeah, I've, I was disappointed just like you. I mean, um, Wilder had obviously has so much power, but Jesus, like, can you give a little resistance? There was no resistance. You know what's coming? Boom! Two and a half minutes, and you catch it. I never saw this Brazil. He's a big guy. He was a college football player. Um, he was a guy that played Division One ball, but not really like not Alabama Division. No, one. no, right. And um, two years, nothing great, but he was a quarterback, big yeah. guy. And obviously, he wasn't a scrambling quarterback, you know. <laughs> he, he was a guy who stood in the pocket, and uh, unfortunately, the pocket collapsed on him. But he was he, he, six foot seven, big guy, f- football player. And, he, you know, he went into this business, and there's obviously a learning curve, there's a development throughout it. I never saw any of that. Mm. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, he fought a bunch of fights, and he won certain fights. He lost one to Joshua when he stepped up, and you know he got dropped in fights with lesser guys, but he got off. He showed heart, yeah. and he won, and he got to this point. But I, I never saw the development, football player or not football player, bicyclist or not bicyclist, basketball player or not basketball player, Baker not Baker, uh, you know, carpenter before he was a fighter, not carpenter. I don't care. But now you're a fighter. And the one thing I never saw any teaching or signs that there was teaching of or progression was where just the basic head movement. Yeah. You know, you oh, know, there was just, nothing. Just, just like, really, I, I never saw any of that progression. He beat guys because he was matched right. He had heart. He physically beat them. But I never saw along the way. And I get where you're coming from. I get it. He's coming from not having been a fighter who started when he was 12 and have 200 average in fight. I get all that. But I still want to see some teaching, some progression, yeah. because now you are a fighter. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I will say in the explanation for that, when you take a guy 
from another place. In this case, football player starting late in boxing. You start late yeah. in boxing. It could be in anything, but we're talking about boxing. And you start late. And you're making that transition from one sport to another. The one thing that is the easiest to form is the offensive side of it. And I did a tweet on that, too, yeah. uh, that Rob also sent out before the fight, explaining why I thought it was going to be an early night mm-hmm. for Mr. Brazil. Brazil. See, when you start in the, towards becoming a fighter, the offensive side is the easiest side to get a handle on because I could take a kid off the street and I'll make him throw punches. Yeah. But I won't be able to make him get away from punches so easy. But I'll, I'll get him, I'll get him in a two minute session and, and put him in and hit full punches. Yeah. It might be for about 14 seconds, but getting away, the concept of getting, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. People, part of it is the teaching, the mechanics. I get it. But, it's a natural reaction to fear to throw punches. See, a lot of people, when they hear that word, they'll say, wow, that's interesting. Because in boxing, most people stay away from that. Because they think that fighters were born devoid of that. No, they weren't. They were born with it, like everyone else. They learn how to control it. And that's where the shortcoming shows itself as not having had that background as a boxer to get used to that environment. To, to get verse in that climate, so to speak, of dealing with fear, where they're not, they haven't had the practice of that, mm-hmm. the conditioning of that, the training of that, the learning of that, the getting comfortable with that, the understanding what that is, what that feeling is, and that you can control it. It doesn't have to control you. You don't have to get in the ring and be like a deer in the waiting to get executed. Mm-hmm. You learn that when you start when you're 12 and you go through that progression. So what I'm saying is that I knew he was going to get knocked out early because that transition, that learning part, development part that's so important never took place with the defensive end of it. Because the offensive end, again, you, you're afraid, you throw punches. They might not be great punches or you might not keep them up too long, but you throw. You direct your fear through offense. Mm-hmm. But to have a defensive dimension to you is a whole di- different thing. Now, you can't direct your fear with defense. You can't direct your fear, you know, the way you do with offense where you lash out at what scares you, even if it's only for a moment and it's erratic. You still lash out. There's no lashing out in defense. Defense means defense, not offense, not initiating. It means someone else is initiating and you have to handle it. So it means control. It means being able to come to terms with your fear. Instead of pushing your fear aside and using your fear in an offensive manner, sort of obliterating your fear, sort of ignoring your fear for a moment, mm-hmm. or or maybe burning your fear, accelerating your fear with the punches. In other words, dumping gasoline on the fire of fear, because fear is a fire. Dumping gasoline on that fire 
and accelerating it by by just letting the fire burn real quick until it burns out. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive side, you got to do the opposite. You have to understand your fear. You have to embrace your fear. You have to come to become friends with your fear. Yeah, friends with your fear. You have to understand your fear. You have to acknowledge your fear. And you have to ultimately live with your fear and control your fear. And that takes the things that you don't have when you have a short period of learning from one sport to another. You have to get comfortable in that uncomfortable environment and that uncomfortable place. And you have to get to where you you take that fear and you say, I'm going to control it. Because if it's uncontrolled, rather than lashing out when it's uncontrolled in the offense where it can be productive, now when it's uncontrolled with the defense, you know what happens? You get a guy pulling away, mm. running away from from what the fear is. You you run away from it. You run away, you get hit. Or you freeze. You freeze, you get hit. Yep. You know, you close your eyes. You 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 just cover up. You submit. And See, that is the byproduct of connected to fear and the defensive end of it. That's that, the, the byproduct of it is that un, not understood, not controlled, not, not polished in that area, you know, not trained in that area, developed in that area, that you just get overcome by it. Yeah. And, that's what happened to Brazil. Mm-hmm. Is that he was he never had a chance. No, because no, no. That's why he never had a chance. Though it wasn't just because of the power of Wilder. It was because I don't care if Wilder threw punches hard or not. They were always going to land because he never learned the defensive component of this game, one of the most important part of it. Because he didn't he didn't have help in that area enough, and he didn't have time and development, the true development it takes in that area, to conquer that area, to to master that area. It's one thing, again, you're afraid, I throw punches, but you're afraid, now you gotta, you got to be controlled, you got to be able to understand what it is, and you got to be able to stay right in there, right in that pocket, and you got to be able to slip the punch. You got Like a baseball player, mm-hmm. you know, a baseball player, yeah, he'll swing the bat, he won't hit nothing. But to become good, he's got to be able to be calm enough to wait till the ball gets just to the right place. See, that's the part of what people don't understand. So the ball gets just to the right place and it shows itself where it's going to go. It's going to curve, it's going to sink, or it's going to, it's going to flatline. And then bang! And then get around. That takes calmness. That takes control over your emotions, over your anxiety, over your fear. And when to, to be able to have the defensive part, which you can't be a fighter at that level if you don't have some defensive yeah. Dimension to you. You can't. Yeah. You have to be again. You have to be take be able to take that fear, control it, look it in the eye, handle it, and and be able to use it. Yeah. Be sharp, be alert, <clears throat> but don't don't let it control you. Yeah. And and that is something that guys making the transition never quite get. Yeah. You know, there's been football plays before. You know, guy, the names like Gastineau. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a football but he never was never one. A lot of people say, but Teddy was a football player. You know, he's out there facing 300-pound guy. Yeah, but there's 11 guys with him. He's mm-hmm. got help. Mm-hmm. It's not solo, baby. Yeah. It's, not, it's a different discipline. It's a different dynamic. It's a different 
it's it's like concentrated detergent. You know, you put concentrate, yeah. and, and more. You better not put too much. Those bubbles get up. <laughs> it's concentrated. Well, this is concentrated fear when you're in a ring. Oh yeah, not a football field. So guys like Gaston, you know, they couldn't add two tall Jones, big physical specimens, but they they weren't able to get to that place. Yeah, you know, a guy named I think I don't have my list in front of me, but Charlie Powell. Um, I think a guy named uh, Pastor, uh, I would make them two of my best. They were pretty good as far as football players that yeah. became fighters. Uh, people could Google them. Uh, and then uh, Alonzo Highsmith, mm -hmm. uh, he was a guy that was pretty good. He, he wasn't too bad. Uh, he was pretty good. Uh, and then, But then there was guys like... Uh, I just said like two tall Jones and Gensno, yeah. and they, they were they were on the bottom level of the barrel or uh, the totem pole. And um, and Brazil, even though he had a better record than them, he he was never gonna get because of what yeah. I just described. He was never gonna get over the hump. Yeah, and that was really highlighted. Like I said in the first round, there wasn't much to see. What uh, what do you think? Where do you think we go from here? I I know that. It was super disappointing to see Showtime bring Luis Ortiz into the ring. I don't want to see this fight again. Now, granted, he he was one punch away from beating Wilder, but like, how many doping suspensions does the guy has? He just turned down at the fight against Anthony Joshua, which leads me to believe that this conversation must have been in the works. That that seems obvious. That who Wilder is going to fight next? At least to me, why else would you have Luis Ortiz come in the ring after that fight? The fact that they're going to reward him with another fight with these doping suspensions is just crazy to me. Although there isn't a lot of people out there that are going to give Wilder a fight at this point. I wish they would just make the Fury or AJ fight and let's get on with it. Well, you know what? I, I mean, there's there's not a there's not a lot of great fighters out there right now. First of all, I mean, I think that that's uh that's apparent. There's not a great there's no all-star list. You know, it's not, we're not doing for heavyweights. We're not doing, when I say fighters, heavyweights we're talking about. We're, we're not in the age where there was uh, the Foremans and the Frasers and the Alleys and the Jimmy Youngs and the, and, and the Jimmy Quarries and the, and, and the, you know, you could go down a list of pretty solid, uh, solid guys. Um, Oscar Bonavina, a oh, strong guy from Argentina, you know, great chin. He had Frazier down in two fights. Uh, you know, uh, Ali knocked him out in the 15th round when Ali came back after suspension. I mean, you had a lot of guys that that could fit in, you know. Uh, you don't have that level. Uh, you don't even have the level that, you know, you had later on when you had the Riddick Bowes and the Lennox Lewis's around, you know, and the Holyfields, you know, and, and so even Michael Dokes and, you know, some other guys that spatted here and there. You don't have a great all-star cast of guys out there. But even the guys, you can't make the best fights because we've, we've sung this song before because the way that boxing is made up, the, the powers that be, you know, it's like land barons. Mm. There's a bunch of land barons out there, and they're just taking care of their own land. They're not looking to expand it. They're not looking to expand it, you know, to the people, where the people get a piece of that land. No, no, no. This is my land, baby. This is my property. And so you got all these promoters, or just a few power ones, uh, the, the handful of power ones, that 
they're only going to allow their fighter. There, there might be a good heavyweight fight out there, and there's a few. Mm. Uh, obviously, Joshua and Wilder is the one everyone wants to see. But you got one promoter that's got Wilder and another promoter that's got Joshua. They're not going to get together unless the fight becomes really like kind of like what happened when the stars lined up in an unbelievable way. It never happened again to that level. But where Pacquiao and Mayweather, where two different promoters, two different networks got together to make that fight when it didn't look like it could be made for the same reasons I'm talking about because there was so much money involved. Mm. There was just too much. I mean, that's what probably eventually might happen if it's going to happen with Joshua and Wilder. But but there are other fights out there that, that aren't quite to that level. But even those fights that would be okay for me, for the fans, they're not going to happen. Because, again, you have one promoter that controls them and another promoter that controls the other side that you want to see together. Yeah. And they're not going to allow it because they're not going to relinquish control. Yeah. Because when they go in the ring, they want to be like, in some ways, we always knock King, but they're the same. They want to be like King was, Don King, years ago. When he walked into that ring, I think it was in Jamaica. Uh, it was terrible. But when he walked in that ring with a guy that a lot of people didn't know about yet, even though he won a gold medal, but big George Foreman fighting Joe Frazier, who had beaten, of course, Ali. So he's going in the ring, and he got smoking Joe Frazier, and he goes to the arena with Joe Frazier, champion, yeah. you know, because King's with him. He goes to the arena with him, and Joe Frazier gets destroyed. He gets knocked out by George Foreman. And then, as Don King <laughs> says, I, he walks out with Foreman, and Frazier's laying there in the ring. And as King said afterwards, I went to the arena, I went to the fight with the champion, I left the fight with the champion. And and that's what these guys want. Yeah, You know, they, they, they want them, at the end of the night, they want to make sure they want they won. Not you, yep. not me, not you, not you, not the sport. Them. They're land barons. They're land barons. And so for me, you say that, yeah, why would I want to see that? But the reason why you're going to see maybe a Luis Ortiz, and that's astute on your part, is even though he's 40 years old or 41 or whatever the heck he is and he already lost to him, you can make the argument that he hurt him. That he did oh, yeah. Wilder and all that stuff, and it was Wilder's toughest fight. But he is older now; he is over forty years old. But all you need to know is that the same guy controls both fighters, oh, Heyman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as then the fight could be made. Mm-hmm. That's why that fight makes whether it makes sense to us or not. And that's what that's, we're getting. That's maybe you might get that. Listen, the guy that I think deserves it the most is a guy I talked about on our podcast before, uh, Dylan White. Yeah. But again, he's not with them. I think he deserves it the most. He's a strong guy. He's made a, he's come a long way. He's strong. He's aggressive. He's improving all the time. They put him in with Joshua too early in his career. But since then, he's beaten some good fighters. And, um, and I think that he deserves the shot. And it makes, I would rather see that. Yeah. But that ain't going to happen because he's not with the same promoter. But you might, I'm going to throw, it's not a wild card. For me, it's not a wild card. I'm going to throw out, a Polish fighter, his name is Adam um, Kanaki, and uh, he's nineteen and all. I think he's nineteen and all, uh, but he, 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 from what I, I believe I'm correct, he's with Heyman, and being that he's with Heyman, of course Wilder's with Heyman, that fight could be made. Now he's nineteen and all. He's got a great following with the Polish people. 
Um, just like Galata had when he was heavyweight, just like Adamak had the cruiserweight champion. There he is. And he's fan friendly. He's, he's, he's got a, He's got a terrific following. He can sell tickets in New York because you have a good that's, Polish base in New York. And that's and I think he lives and trains in Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. He he's got a great base of Polish fans. They will. He's come got a out. good personality. He's got a good personality. They will come out. He doesn't have a great body, but <laughs> um, he's. They will come out. They will support yeah. him, and he's fan friendly. Yeah, he's yeah. a tough guy. Tough. The problem is he gets hit too easy and he get knocked out. Yeah. but he's he's undefeated. Uh, he'll sell tickets, and and that's a fight. Don't be shocked. Yeah. Don't be shocked if that fight, you wind up hearing about that fight. Well, um, speaking of the body, um, I wanted to just come back. We have a big fight coming up in two weeks with Anthony Joshua and um, uh, uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. And um, I think when I first read this, I wasn't incredibly familiar with uh andy ruiz but i went back and watched some of his fights and i have to say i'm i'm much more impressed initially i mean his body is terrible but yeah. he's had some decent performances and he's a tough guy he went the distance with uh parker uh, i think um I, and again, I, Puck is not what we said back in ever when you had yeah. Frazier, you had yeah. Fong, you had I just think this will but, be but more He's a top guy. This should be a lot more competitive. Well, I anything agree. would be more competitive than the Wilder fight in hindsight. But I think we, I think I personally underestimated Ruiz a little upon further review. But what do you see there? Anything? No, um, no. I, I will say this: that the first reaction to everybody, the from everybody, most out there, fight fans, the the. The scribes, the you know the people that write about it, and the, the sport. The first reaction was, "Oh, now we're gonna get, you know, we're gonna get secondary stuff. We're gonna get trash. We're gonna get uh, recycled stuff. You know uh, that we don't have Miller now, the undefeated fighter fighting him. And now we're gonna get. So what do we care about this for? Well, my first question was, what should you have cared about Miller? Miller hadn't beaten anyone. Right. He was untested. He didn't know if he could handle it. And I'm going to go further. He didn't think he could handle it. 100%. Teddy, how could you say that? Because he took steroids. Because he took steroids. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say that he didn't believe. How, how is he going to put forth the kind of effort that we're saying that we want to believe he would put forward when he didn't even believe that he would because if he believed it, he wouldn't have taken steroids. He wouldn't have felt that he needed that help. 100%. So so he didn't believe in the course, so to speak. So here's a guy right away we're going to jump on, right away we're going to jump on, and we're going we're gonna to jump on, we're going to say, oh, we're getting less of a fight, less of a product now that we don't have Miller. No, you had a less of one. <laughs> you had a less of one already. You just didn't know it yet. Uh, a guy that hadn't fought anybody, a guy that didn't believe, didn't learn what you learn by fighting somebody, that you can handle it, that you can handle that level. Now we have a guy in Ruiz who at least has that knowledge. Mm. He knows he can handle a certain level by fighting Parker, a better guy than Miller ever fought. Yeah. By, he lost a majority decision, but he went 12 rounds. He knows he belongs at that level. So you're getting a better, you're getting a better opponent and a potentially better fight and more competitive fight with Ruiz because of that. Yeah. Simply because of that. Because two things. One, he knows. He does know 
that he belongs at a certain level, something that Miller had never had the chance to find out yet. And also because he faces, he's got the strength, the conviction, the character to face things, to discipline, to face things in this tough business on his own without the help of steroids. Yeah. You know that. That's important to know. Yeah. So he'll give you an honest effort. He don't look good and everything. You know, You obviously you're right. Uh, physically when you look at, but it's not what you want to see. But I'll tell you, we've had a few guys in the past, you know, not that I want to go too deep there, but there was a guy named Tony Tubbs. You know, I know uh, how, how do you let your body get soft when your last name is Tubbs, right? Yeah. I, mean, I would kind of find Jack LaLanne, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, really try not to make that connection. Yeah. Right. But, uh, he had a soft body and, you know, he, he won a title for a minute. Yeah. That was back in the musical chance days mm-hmm. in the 80s of the heavyweight division where there was flip-flopping titles left and right. Pinkman yeah. Thomas. I mean, just so many different guys interchanging their titles. Dokes. I mean, there was all of them. But the funny thing was all of those guys were better than most of, to a certain extent, than most of the ones we have today. But again, uh, to your point, Ruiz, you, you're probably getting a better fight where initially you thought you were getting less because it was a substitution. Yeah. You right away substitution, the way we're geared as people, oh, we're getting less. But don't forget, there's been a lot of substitutions in the history of sports, in the history of this sport, where the substitute won. Oh, yeah. It's called upsets. It's called an upset. And that's how the upsets happen. A guy comes in that... Wasn't supposed to be fighting. Everyone gives rights him off. No chance. And he pulls off the upset. In the interviews I've seen I'm not saying him, that's going to happen here. Right. In the interviews I've seen with Ruiz, though, I like him. He, see, he, he genuinely sounds confident. If you look at the press conference before Miller got suspended with Joshua and the whole team over at MSG, to me, Miller was talking crazy, like scared talk. Like you, he was but talking, now we know why. talking crazy. Like, who are you scaring with that? Like, this guy isn't going to be scared. He's the heavyweight champ of the world. Nothing you can say is going to scare him. He was him. trying to make his job easier yep. with using steroids, intimidation, mm-hmm. whatever he could use. Yeah. It's a shame because career is pretty much done. I mean, I can't imagine a promoter hiring no, no, him. The, the, f- you know what? You're wrong. You should be right. You should be right, Ken. There should be more accountability and more severe uh, penalty for doing things like that, especially in a sport where you put that in your into your veins and you could you could cripple someone. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you really you're trying to you're trying to hurt a guy anyway in the ring. Now you got an unfair advantage to to hit him in the skull. Mm-hmm. That that's that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. And so where you're wrong is you should be right, but in this sport where there's no sheriff in town, there's no proper policing across the board, um, he'll, get, he'll get a slap on the wrist. He'll get a slap on the wrist. It should be a two-year suspension. I'm just talking over my head uh, real quick. I mean, if, if I put more time, maybe i figure it out, the, the parameters of it a little better. But two-year suspension, and then next time you're gone for life. You know, yeah. something like that. We talked to... Uh, we we talked to the champion Julian Williams about that, and you guys again. You're gonna really he's an anti you, big yeah, anti doping oh, advocate. Gonna, you're gonna you, you're gonna hear it right, you know, right from his mouth, uh, you know. And I 
I, again, I disagree with you that it should be where you're not going to hear about him no more, but you hear about Miller again because uh, he get a slap on the wrist and uh, there, there won't be any real consequences. A, a, a six months, it will end up being six months or, or a year, whatever it is. Yeah. Say, say it's six months suspension. I don't know what it's going to be or what it is. But, and, and Julian talked to this, but fighters, especially heavyweights, they only fight every six months. Exactly. So what are you doing? What are you doing? So you're making believe as a commissioner or whatever. You're making believe that you're punishing, but you're not. Yep. But you're not. Right. And we don't need make believe anymore. And one one important thing to point out in that Luis Ortiz got busted. He's going to get rewarded with another shot at the title. But with his drugs, I forget exactly what he tested for, but he had some cockamamie excuse. Jarrell Miller has zero excuses. He may have come clean, but he tested positive for everything. There was no gray area. This was like some of those other guys, they might enjoy having a, an excuse and they may genuinely believe it and some people may buy into it. But Jarrell Miller, there's no gray area. He was taking he everything, the whole bar, huh? yeah, the, everything under the sun. <laughs> I don't think at the bar. Everything at the bar. <laughs> give me some scotch. Give me some vodka. Uh, give me some, uh, uh, some schnapps. Give me. <laughs> if they don't suspend him for more than six months, it's a real crime. And the, and the fighters should be the one to like, speak up and come together and be like, this is unacceptable. We can't have people that are that doped up coming in here and punching other people in the head. Well, I agree. Well, one other fight I want to touch on before we shut this down for the day is um, the um, Japanese kid in the uh, World Boxing um, Super Series, um, Noya Inoue, who you've been on from early days calling him. I think you might have been the, one of the first to put him on your pound-for-pound pound list, but Man, all I could think as I watched him just take apart this guy Saturday night was uh he looks like Lomachenko in the way he moves. The one thing I'll say about in a way that I didn't that I don't see what Loma is and and maybe maybe I'm wrong. You tell me what you think. It looked like at times in a way was pulling out and he was getting hit a lot more than Loma would get hit. He got hit with a few punches. Now the the opponent was was pretty good, I mean, yeah, Rodriguez. But in a way, got hit a few times. But I mean, the power, my God, for a hunk guy, 118 pounds. The supreme, confidence is the same as Loma. Like Loma. He just looked supremely confident. I add one strong. thing to that. You're not wrong. Yeah, he's a good. But part of that was by design. What he was doing was he would throw something, like, say, right hand. And then he pulled back to create a situation where the guy would come forward where he could catch him with the kind of left hook. So it was it was planned. It wasn't like so much a flaw. He's he's got to do it better. Yeah. Like like sometimes he got touched because he that is taking a risk. Yes. But I like fighters to take risks. Mm. And so do you. That's why you watch. Them. Oh yeah. And and Lomachenko takes risks. He does it so smart and so well calculated and so well trained uh, and so well prepared that it doesn't look like a risk. But he's being aggressive. He's taking risks. But he did get knocked down once taking yeah, that yeah, risk. Yeah, so yeah, it's exactly right. Exactly. And so that's the thing that makes the great ones great. That's you know. That's the thing that if you favor, and I love Floyd Mayweather, but if you make the comparison, I'm going to go with Sugar Ray Leonard because he would take risks. And he was great in all the areas that Floyd was great. Maybe, you know, he, he was, he was very good defensively too. He wasn't concentrated on that area to the level that Floyd is. He didn't live day and night and make his living in only that area. Yeah. But what made Leonard different, Sugar Ray Leonard, he was one of the great ones for me, at least, uh, in any era is that 
he would take risks. That that yeah, he he knew what he was doing defensively. Yeah, he was responsible. Yeah, he had the skill sets like Floyd does. You know, the speed, the power, the this, the that, uh, the the technique, all those things. The the ring IQ. He had all that, but he was also more offensive minded. Where he would mix the two together. Where Floyd put the offense in there, but just to the point where it was enough without compromising the defensive part of it, without in any way going over the line of where it could get close to being reckless from the defensive side. Yeah. He he was always cognizant of that, always, always aware of that. And Leonard knew that, but he was willing to go over that side because you know what? He was going to get you. And to me, that's what the great ones did. They were going to get you. He had that attitude. I'm going to get you. I'm going to find it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to keep searching. At the end of the day, if the bell rang and it was done and he didn't get you, it wasn't from lack of trying. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> well, to the comparisons of Inouye and Loma, he's 18-0 with 16 knockouts. He's won, he's won titles in uh, three weight classes and only 18 fights. His last three fights were all against world champions. They've lasted a total of eight minutes and three knockouts for this Listen, game. I love Inouye. I put him on my pound-for-pound list a long time ago before it was so easy and so fashionable, as you said, to do. Um I, again, just to clarify what I was saying, you said sometimes he pulls back. Yes, but that's part of why we love him because he's doing it, again, he's doing it with a mission attached to it. Yeah. That he's doing it and there's a method to his madness where where he'll, go, he'll push to and pull. He'll push you with the right hand and then knows that every action in the ring gets a reaction yeah. in, in life. That's yeah. what happens in life. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... Uh, you talk a certain way to your wife, you're going to get a <laughs> reaction back, right? Oh, yeah. You should be ready for that. Right oh, now. I'm, Think I'm it out. fully Think it prepared. Out. Think it out ahead of time. I have a PhD in dealing with my wife. <laughs> so now, so what he'll do is, and, and to your point, you have, really, you made a tremendous point, is in a way you push with the right hand, and now, now what's that going to do? You push someone, they push back. So now the guy's going to push forward, maybe a little reckless. So he push, and then he goes, boom! And as he pulls back, he he breaks off a, a left hook, trying to catch him. So there's a method. He knows what he's doing. And he might get a sensational result from it. And there's a little risk. And if you don't do it right, if you don't do it just right, yeah, you get timed. You get timed. Uh, see, but the thing with him that I like about Inouye is... That was beautiful, and now you know. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna tell you something about that replay right there that speaks to what what I'm gonna say here, is that he's got fast, smart hands. Mm. I'm gonna say it again. He's got fast, smart hands. People are gonna say, "Oh, hands got brains in them." No, this is a brain, but they're fast. They're smart. That was fast, smart hands. You know what that was? That was a right hand. Underneath to the heart. The old timers would say it was placed to the heart. Boom! It froze him for the left. Fast, smart hands. Yeah. He, that was smart. He The right hand underneath, like a right uppercut. Boom! Underneath to the heart just to freeze the body. Yeah. And then the left hook to finish it. Fast, 
Smart hands. You know what else I like about him? Everything I said, his confidence, his attitude, he knows he's going to win when he gets in there. Yeah. There's, there's, there's you can take, tell. He's taking no prisoners, baby. Mm -hmm. And, and that willingness to risk for reward. But his feet are always in position to deliver the power. He's never out of position. It's not an accident that he delivers power with all these punches. Yeah. Because he's well taught. His legs, you know who was that way? I know I'm switching weight classes, but Joe Lewis, mm. one of the greatest fighters of all time, greatest finishers of all time, greatest uh, punches of all time. Jackie Blackburn, his trainer, really a tremendous trainer, he taught him to always have his legs in position. So Lewis was never out of position, mm. ever. So when he threw, he threw with full power, full leverage, and full control, mm. full responsibility. And I see that in, in a way. And that's part of what I love about him. He's a brutal body puncher. My God, yeah. you see some of the body shots he's landed? He's killing people. My my biggest concern for him is that who's he going to fight? So he's fighting in the finals against Nonito, Nonito Denaire, who's like, I think, 36 years old. He's 40 and 45 and 1, 40 wins, 5 losses, 1. The ship is sailed on Donaire. Yeah. And I, mean, I, think I, this mean, is, I mean, he's, he, yeah. he's, he's shot one. I, I I love watching the guy. He's a tough guy, but and I he mean, he's not. But he's not in the. And he was a real good amateur, very good, and a champion. But this kid, I mean, I can't imagine a scenario in which Inoue doesn't his run day him is right past. over. His day is here. Yes. So I don't know who fights this kid next because I don't see anyone at that weight class that's in the same category with him. Maybe I'm missing something. No, the question for me is kind of like the question that's been out there, really, where since Lomachenko has been <laughs> making it boring. To beating everybody and and cleaning house with all the divisions, making it boring and making you search for who's not going to make it boring, making you search for who's going to give him a fight. You know, Loman, that's what the great ones do. They make you search like, okay, but it's the same situation here with Inouye. You can only go up so many weight classes. Yeah, exactly. So when you when you wipe out, when you clean house in one weight class, you go to the next one, which in a way is done, which Lomachenko has done. Mm -hmm. But you do get to a place where, you, how much farther can you go? Exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And Loma said that himself. He said, I can't weigh more than I do. Otherwise, you could eventually find the guy that say, oh, wow, I, this guy's going to give him a – yeah, but the guy the guy weighs 220 pounds. <laughs> I, I mean, like you went a little too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we – before we finish up, can we, with our great producer here, go back and put up, which we never got a chance to put up, even though we finished on talking about that subject – with the Wilder fight. Yeah, the blinding just, yeah, just jab. Put up, because I want to just show a history of, first of all, what I was talking about. Because when a jab hits you, you should move your head. Left, and move he your stays head, there. Bang. And, and bang. It's good night. Look, he stays there. It kind of like I head said this. straight up in the air. It kind of like, you kids play T-ball yet? Yeah, of course. It, it looked like T-ball. Yeah. Like, like, really, his head was the ball, unfortunately. But it, it just stayed right there. The head stayed right there. Right? It didn't move. I mean, after the jab, look, look, the head, the T-ball, the head stayed right there. Okay, keep the head there. Now I'm going to swing the bat. Well, look, boom. It was it was like. It was I mean, he like, was right on the end of like that, too. And, but it is also to the credit of Wilder. Yeah. It's, it is something he's developed. Yeah. You know, it's his Sunday punch. It's his forte, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, it's his bread and butter. But he has developed where. He will blind you with the jab, mesmerize you, freeze you with the jab, 
and then crush you with the right hand. And he's a, also throwing that from a huge distance away, yeah. right? He's really but jumping. He's putting in. everything into it. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. turning his oh. back. He's pivoting on his foot. He's putting every ounce. In. So, what I asked our terrific producer to do was put together. I put together a list of fighters that had the same talent. That's just freezing for one second. They had the same genius, if you will. This the same the same uh they came up with the same trick um and and it became their bread and butter their their Sunday thing their signature punch if you will yeah every great fighter has a signature punch and mm-hmm. usually great heavyweights have a signature punch yeah. and there was a few in the history of the sport that have had it and George Foreman was one he would tap you with the jab blind you with the boom and then the right hand was right behind it See, he blinded you with the jab and the right hand. He kind of loaded up. George, you almost hit the referee with that one. But, <laughs> and and he, and then it would come. And there was a few heavyweights, unfortunately, he did it to my guy, to Michael Moore. Watch. A lot of people didn't think it was a hard punch, but he never saw it. He never watched. Boom. He never sees that punch. The jab, the last thing he saw was this. Yeah. And then the right hand's right there. He didn't have time to register in his mind that there was a punch coming. Before that knockout shot, too, he got hit with a one-two that probably stunned him as yes, well. Because yes. that was a shot. And it made him freeze there. Yeah. No, no, that's a good observation. And but but and here's another one. Igor Mayol Hansen back in the fifties. He was uh, became heavyweight champ on this night beat Floyd Patterson. And again, see, he swiped this time he swiped. Watch what he does with the left hand. A lot of people miss this. Watch. He swipes with it, blocks his vision, and the right hand's right behind the swipe. It's right behind it where he doesn't see it coming. And then you had to... I don't know if we're going to have some more with... Uh, and then you had the great Tefilio Stevenson, one of only three fighters in the history of the Olympics to win three gold medals in three separate Olympics. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And he was a heavyweight over in Cuba where it was a communist country. couldn't come over here. couldn't turn pro. And he did the same thing. Watch. He used to... He made a living out of... He blinded you with the jab and then the right hand was right behind. Watch. And that's your point. He hits him on the top of the temple. Well, anyway, he, right behind yeah, the ear. Yeah, he night, caught night. him in one of those vulnerable spots. Yeah. But most of the time it was on the chin. Yeah. Most of the time it was on the chin. He would catch them. But there's a good example of guys in the heavyweight division through the history of this great sport that made a living with that one signature move. Yeah. You know, so Wilder's doing something. I don't know if he picked it up from those guys, but to his credit, he has developed that punch to the point where he's a dangerous guy. And even when they know it's coming, it's still landing. Not that Brazil offered an ounce of resistance. Again, it's incredibly disappointing. He did. I mean, he didn't even try to run away. He was just there to be hit like a t-ball. But um, cool. The only other thing I wanted to add is that um, we didn't have time to cover the um, Taylor fight in the uh, World Boxing Super Series. He's going to move on and fight our man uh, Regis Progres in the finals. We'll have more to come on that fight, and we'll have to, a good preview of that one because I like Regis Progres. But um, before we wrap up, you got anything else you want to add, Teddy? No, I just uh, think we covered a lot of ground, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, we appreciate you guys. Appreciate hanging out with you. Yeah, thanks for all the support again. Thanks for all the people that share, comment on the videos, share the um, iTunes links again available on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from, and check out the YouTube channel at the Fight with Teddy Atlas. And a few people that are now have crossed me off um, the Christmas list. 
We're going to keep doing it the same way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right? Christmas that's cards it. or not. That's it. Thanks for being with us. Take it easy.